So as you've probably guessed, if you're new or just visiting this morning, we've been working through the story of Joseph and looking particularly as we go through this story about Joseph's relationship with his brothers. And this morning we reached the point in this whole saga where uh, Joseph and his brothers become reconciled after more than 20 years of separation. And if you didn't or you don't know the story of Joseph, he was sold into slavery by these brothers with which he's reconciled today. You know, those 20-odd years ago, they hated him. They nearly murdered him. And eventually, instead of murdering him, sold him as a slave. They told lies. His brothers had told lies to his father that he died. And yet this morning, as we heard, in only their second meeting since that happened, Joseph and his brother's relationship become, well, reconciled. Reconciliation is simply the restoring of friendly relationships, and that's kind of what happens today in the story. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. It's a really difficult topic, reconciliation. But I think in this passage there's some principles and things that we can all learn from. Because if we're honest, every single one of us here has had or will have relationships that are broken and relationships that need to be restored. You know, we live in a world where there is so much hatred, so much unforgiveness going on, so many relationships that are broken down. You know, we mentioned it in the prayers. Look at what's happening in the US presidential election. Trump and Clinton and the way they are behaving and speaking to one another and the effect that is having on the nation, dividing it in two. And not even to, you know, to mention what's going to go on here with what's going on here with the Brexit vote. You know, the vitriol over the judge's decision this week. Is our nation becoming divided as well? breakdown in relationships and when, and when public relationships break down as well, it doesn't just affect the, the people that are doing it it infects and affects the nation as a whole it causes hurt and pain and suffering and hatred to be poured out in many people's lives broken relationships are harmful they aren't good for us and they aren't good for those around our life what about the broken relationships in our lives what impact does that have not only on us but on those around us as well every single conflict in this world this is a bold statement this every single conflict in this world is due to either there being no relationship between one person and another or a breakdown in a relationship between one group or another. That's how important reconciliation is, because breakdowns happen. And if you don't reconcile relationships, conflict happens. Both small conflict in the small relationships that we have, but massive conflicts that leave, lead to wars. So what is the answer then? Reconciliation is the answer. It's not easy, 
It's hard, it can be time-consuming and energy-sapping. But it's necessary if we are to change this world that we live in. For without reconciliation, there is no hope in this world. Listen to this verse from 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter 5, verse 18. God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This verse says two things. First, it says that God sees the importance of reconciliation. You know, when God's relationship with us was broken down, he didn't just sit back and do nothing about it. He didn't let the hurt and hate in his heart towards the sin and our constant turning away from him rule. No, he acted in love. He sent Christ to come and reconcile us to himself. But it also tells us something else. It tells us that in reconciling us to himself, and Paul was talking about Christians here, he is saying that you and I, if you're in Christ, you are a minister of reconciliation. Imagine the world if individuals, tribes, nations were more willing to reconcile with one another. Imagine what the world would be like. We may not be able to bring reconciliation ourselves to the whole world, but we can bring it into our world, in our relationships. We can transform our families, our communities, our workplaces, wherever we are, if we are a people willing to bring reconciliation in our relationships. So as ministers of reconciliation, we're going to look at this passage that we heard read from us from Joseph and see if there's uh, some principles or steps that we can, we can learn and can help us to become better ministers of reconciliation in the world. So do keep your Bibles open, and if you want to, uh, uh, use the sermon handout if you find it helpful. And the first thing I want to say uh, we can learn this morning is this. Don't let hurt rule in your heart. What do I mean? I don't mean we shouldn't feel hurt or pain. You know, hurt and pain are, are part of our emotions, and they can play an important role in our lives. They can give us a, a sense of warning, help us not to make the same mistakes again. They also can uh, remind us uh, or give us a sense that things in this world are not as they should be, that there's something wrong, there's something that needs to be done about it. We shouldn't not feel hurt and pain in our relationships. But what I am saying is we shouldn't let that hurt and pain rule in our hearts and take control of how we relate to other people, bringing them hurt and pain back. Several times throughout the reading today, and also last week and the week before, we were told that Joseph wept. And he, on most occasions, and I don't think this is just because he was a man trying to hide his emotions, uh, he leaves the room because he doesn't want anyone to see him crying. But here's the thing. I think one of the reasons why Joseph does that is because Joseph is aware of his emotions. And he doesn't, uh, Joseph doesn't want to uh, suppress them or pretend they're not there, pretend he's fine to himself. But he doesn't want his uh, emotions to get the better of him in a way that was going to impact the reconciliation process that he is going on with his brothers. Joseph isn't ruled by his emotion. He feels the hurt and pain, but he doesn't allow them to control his relationship. 
You know, a couple of weeks ago when Joseph first met his brothers, uh, he probably did this when he initially sees them. His first instinct was he spoke to them harshly, locked them all up in prison, but then he went away and he came to his senses. I think Joseph here is, is making sure he doesn't make that same mistake again. When his emotions look like they're getting the better of him, he stops, removes himself from the situation and doesn't let his hurt stop him from seeking and making peace with his brothers. And isn't this also how I've mentioned what God did for us? The hurt and pain we cause God by constantly turning away from him, disobeying him, ignoring him. Yet, he restored his relationship with us. God dealt with the hurt and the pain and anger through that ultimate act of self-sacrificial love on the cross. And we can have a restored relationship with God because of it. So what can we do? Some simple things when we're in the height of an argument or you're filled with anger for whatever reason towards someone. It's then that when we meet them, our words and our actions can spill out in a way that if we really think about it, we'd rather not. Words and actions that in that moment can make reconciliation even harder. I'm sure all of us can think of words we said in the heat of a moment that we've instantly regretted. I know I have. But Joseph recognised that and removed himself from the situation. And perhaps that's something that we can try working on. But Joseph didn't just leave and remove himself so he didn't speak those words of hurt. He came back. He kept going back into his brothers, continuing. He didn't just store it up and not deal with it. He went back. So if you need to let your anger out, you need to have a rant. Rant to God. He's a big God. He can take it. Find a safe friend to pour your emotions out to. But don't pour your emotion and your anger out in a way that is going to make reconciliation harder or more painful with those you are trying to love. So don't ignore the hurt, but don't let it rule in your heart in that relationship. So second, we, I think, think we, can, uh, we can learn from this story this morning, is uh, we need to honestly admit wrongdoing. In order for the best reconciliation to take place, uh, for a relationship to be fully healthy and fully restored, uh, there has to be an acknowledgement of what was done wrong either by ourselves or by, that other, or by the other person. It's simple when you think about it, really. How can a trust in a relationship be restored if the wrong that has been done isn't recognised? The following questions are going to go through your mind. Well, if they don't recognise it's wrong, are they just going to do the same thing again? Can I actually trust them? Can I trust uh, myself? Was it just me then that perhaps it wasn't wrong, but I just thought it was wrong? What's going on? It makes the relationship unsure. But when we honestly admit our wrongdoing, it can give a base level from which a relationship can be built from. Uh, we saw that a few weeks ago in Joseph's story, in the, in the guilt that they had unknowingly shown to Joseph uh, when, uh, about selling him as a slave. When they were, they were in prison, it says, surely we're being punished because of what we did to Joseph. There was a recognition there that what they had done was wrong and deserved some kind of punishment. 
but they really backed it up today. They really backed that up today uh, with the unwillingness, particularly on the part of Judah, to not let Benjamin become Joseph's slave. They didn't want the same thing to happen again, and Judah was fighting against it. I think that's a powerful confession of admitting they were wrong, when in a similar situation, the brothers behaved differently. One of the things I had to, to learn in marriage was the importance of saying sorry uh, and admitting my mistakes. You know, as all husbands do, we do occasionally make mistakes, don't we? Wives do as well, but maybe a little bit less so. And is not here, actually, so I'm not going to get brownie points for that. But anyway, <laughs> Ada pointed out to me, uh, in the way that only those close to you can, uh, a few years after we got married, that... Uh, when I did make one of these rare mistakes, I had this uh, approach of saying sorry, which basically excused what I did and almost negated the apology. I would say something along the lines of, oh, I'm really sorry, I said, did, such and such. But the reason was because you actually said this and you did this, and, and this happened in my past, so really I was justified and it's understandable that I behaved like that. That kind of negates the apology, doesn't it? Kind of just puts the blame on the other person. When we're apologizing like that, we're not actually really saying sorry, are we? We're just justifying why we behave like that and almost making an excuse saying, it's okay, it happens again, if it happens again. We're not taking responsibility for our actions. And if we do that, relationships are harder to build, relationships are more strained, and mistakes become repeated. And you can't grow a relationship, a stronger relationship and a healthier relationship as you should. We get stuck on Groundhog Day, doing the same things over and over again. So honestly, admitting wrongdoing is a really, really important point. And this leads to the third one, which I've kind of touched on already, which was we must demonstrate a change in attitude and behavior. After we've admitted the wrong, it becomes easier for us to change that attitude and behavior that we've had, to behave differently going forward. Let me just remind you of of how our reading started with some words from uh, Judah pleading uh, with Joseph for his life in uh, verses 33 and 34. Judah's pleading with Joseph. Now please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come down on my father. The brothers, in recognizing and admitting their wrong in the past, have been able to change their attitude and behavior, both towards their brother in slavery or the potential of another brother being sold into slavery. And also, too, they've recognized the hurt that they've caused their father, Jacob, as well. They don't want to cause their father, Jacob, any more hurt because of the breakdown in relationship that they had had with Joseph earlier. Judah is demonstrating that he did not want the same fate to come to Benjamin that had come to Joseph, and he was willing to sacrifice himself to prevent that same situation 
from happening. He was willing to give up everything not to make for that same mistake not to happen again. And I wonder if you noticed in the reading this morning that this was actually the turning point in the saga. It is this demonstration from Judah of the lessons learned that break down the remaining defense that Joseph has towards his brothers. After this moment, after Judah saying this, Joseph doesn't just, isn't just the leader, the second in command of Egypt, the one that has authority over his brothers in front of him. He says, sends everyone else out, so it's just him and his brothers, and opens himself up and says, I am your brother. Joseph becomes their brother again at this point, and not simply the ruler. They come close, they hug, and Joseph allows them to see his emotions again. I don't know about you, but often the people I respect the most are not people that have never made mistakes or or never hurt me in the past, but the ones who have perhaps hurt or done wrong, but have then changed their attitude and behavior afterwards. You have to respect them because you know they are actually really, really committed to you. They're not just there because you get along or you're similar. They have a deeper commitment to that where they're willing to change and sacrifice themselves for you. So the three points we've covered so far. Don't let hurt rule in your heart. Honestly admit wrongdoing and demonstrate a change in attitude and behavior. Fourth point, create a platform to build from. So after Joseph has uh, seen his brothers do these three things, he simply doesn't say after he says, right, I'm your brother. Right, that's great. We've reconciled. Off you go then. Go back to uh, Canaan. Uh, Here's some food. Uh, I don't want to see you anymore because we're okay. No. He invites them to come and live in the land with him. His solution creates a platform to build a new type of relationship from. Uh, They're all going to come and live in the same land, uh, not in the same roof. The relationship dynamic is going to be different from before, but it's going to be a place where they can continue to work on their restored relationship together. I think this is an important thing we all need to learn about uh, reconciliation in relationships. And it's often something that's misunderstood. Reconciliation in relationships does not mean that relationships must go back to how they were before. Reconciliation does not mean things need to go like they were before. Joseph was not going to go back and become the little brother that's going to go back and live with his family and be in a situation where the same mistakes can easily be repeated again. His situation has changed. His brother's situation has changed. And they need to come up with a new way, a new way for these restored relationships to work. Reconciliation in our relationships doesn't mean things have to go back to like they were before. 
reconciliation between a separated husband and wife. It may not necessarily mean going back to being married again. But it can look like working and loving one another in a way that uh, cares and puts the needs of maybe children or other people in the family first rather than competing and working against one another with people and relationships in their wider family. It may mean for a mother and daughter who have uh, become reconciled, it may not mean going back and living together, but it may mean committing to regularly talking and meeting up and spending time with one another. If Trump and Clinton were to be reconciled, it's not going to mean the uniting and making of a third political party where one's president and one's not, probably. But it might be a commitment to mutual respect and not insulting each other at every possible moment. What would it look like in our relationships? How can we build relationships going forward that are going to be different, better than what they were before? How can we create platforms for that to happen from? So there are four points. Don't let hurt rule your heart. Honestly admit wrongdoing. Demonstrate a change in attitude and behavior and create a platform to build from. Much easier to say than to do in practice, I think. How actually are we going to do that? Especially when other people can be miles apart, spiritually, mentally, physically from where we are. How do we have the strength to be these ministers of reconciliation? How did Joseph do it with his brothers? Because remember, Joseph was nearly murdered by his brothers. That was not easy. He was sold into into slavery. Being a slave is not, not a good thing to be. He was in prison. How did Joseph find the strength to forgive his brothers? The final point. He trusted God throughout. Draw your attention to uh, some verses. We read a couple of them, but not all of them, in uh, chapter 45, verses 5 to 11. Just listen to this. Do not be distressed. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers. Do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for sending me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. Verse 8. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back and say, hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Do you notice in these verses how, how Joseph is recognizing God at work in him, bringing him to this place of reconciliation where it is possible. Now, Joseph hadn't had that easy life. His brothers shouldn't have done what they'd done. They'd taken some responsibility of it. But Joseph, throughout his life, trusted God. Trusted that God was with him and could help him and could use him in those situations that he found himself in. And it can be the same for us. And in fact, it is the same with us through Christ. We have been 
in places, I'm sure all of us have been in places or in situations where we didn't want to be because of what somebody said to us or, or, or did to us. Some of you may be there right now. But what we can all do in those times is do what Joseph did, is turn to God and trust him. Pray to him, talk to him. And wherever we are, use what we have. Use what we have. Use what God has given us to share love, to share peace, to be those people of reconciliation. Remember that verse from the start. God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. How did God reconcile us to himself through Christ? Well, he didn't let the hurt and pain of being rejected by those he came to say, stop him from acting out of love and dying for us on the cross. His relationship was ruled by love, not hurt. We can do the same. If we're hurting, turn to God. Trust him. Let his love come into our hearts. And through that act of love on the cross, our sins and wrongdoings are forgiven when we admit they're wrong. When we admit our wrong, we are forgiven. But it doesn't stop there through the cross when we turn to God and are reconciled. He gives us new life and new hope so that we can have changed attitude, changed behaviours. We're given God's word as guidance to build our lives upon. We're given the Holy Spirit to help us grow and as a promise and as an assurance that God is always with us wherever we are, whatever situation. So I don't know where you are right now. I don't know if you're simply at that point where hurt is ruling in your heart or whether God may be uh, calling you to create a a platform in somebody that has hurt you that you're thinking to rebuild. But wherever you are, Trust God in the process. Turn to him. Trust that reconciliation is important. Without reconciliation, there is no hope. We, as a people of God, must be ministers of reconciliation in this world. Because when we do, we point to the ultimate hope that the world has. We point to that ultimate act of reconciliation on the cross that will lead to a place where there is no hurt, no more pain, and the world now will become a better place, a better place where God is more known.